Hey, this is The Beast with RexandTheBeast.com. Thanks for listening to Coasters and Culture. Rex and I have recently returned from the legendary Kings Island in Mason, Ohio. And we spend some time in this episode discussing our trip, our thoughts on the new Giga Coaster Orion. And we also want to talk about a few things related to Halloween Horror Nights in Orlando, uh, capitalism, and who knows what else. So I hope you're ready to join the journey with us. Here we go. First thing I want to ask you today, my friend, is what comes to mind when you hear the word Frida? When I hear the word Frida? Yeah. What comes to mind for me is I know there's something going on. Well, that's what comes to mind for me as well. And do you know who played drums on that song? I certainly do. He also produced the track, Mr. Phil Ubiquitous Collins. That's right. Do you know who played guitar? Oh, I do not know who played guitar, but I would guess it might be Mr. Great Sandwich, Daryl Sturmer. <laughs> That's right, too. Your field doesn't go anywhere without that guy. You know what I mean? Yeah, they are joined at the hip, uh, rightfully so. Yeah, it's right. <clears throat> it's such a good song. I, it came on the other day on something I was listening to, and I just thought, this song still works. And it's unbelievable drum part. I mean, Phil could flat play the drums. There's just no doubt about that. It's incredible. Well, he, he came into that sound around that same time. That, that's around the same time of the, you know, classic in the air tonight sound and all of that. And it's referred to, I'm no great musician on all of this, but referred to as sort of the drum gate sound that he created where it, it really has that uh, extension of the, the reverb off of the drums that is just iconic you really can pick out if you don't know if you played that song for someone that understood and knew phil collins they would know instantly that that is phil collins i mean the drums are just so unique sounding for the sound he had at the time and it is a great sound it clearly is 80s but it's 80s that still works it does yeah i mean it's still so good and yeah i mean you just start jamming along with it as soon as you hear it so so cool well, this is Coasters and Culture, so we kind of talk about anything we want to. But I think what we need to talk about, of course, Rex, is the fact that you and I actually visited a theme park in the middle of this COVID nonsense and uh, all the craziness going on. We decided to get to Kings Island in Cincinnati, Mason, Ohio, in order to ride the new Giga Coaster, Orion. Been hearing good things about it. We love Kings Island anyway, all the great stuff that's there. So, yeah, off we went. Uh, you flew in from Colorado. I drove up from central Kentucky. And we met, and boom, we got in. You know, getting into the park was really no problem at all. I was really impressed with Kings Island with the COVID protocols and everything. It was super fast. We didn't even have to open our book bags. Did we even have a book bag? I don't think we did. But nevertheless, we didn't have to stop. We just walked through the thing, and off we went. So getting in was great. And we pretty much went straight to Orion. And so let's just start there, man. You know, Giga Coaster, there's only seven of them in the world. Kings Island has one of them now. 300 foot, you know, drop. Um, let's just get into it. What, what, what's your takeaway from Orion? Well, it's always exciting when we have the opportunity to uh, experience a new 
attraction, whether it's a dark ride, whether it's a coaster, whatever it is, especially when you're dealing with, as you mentioned, something as uh, relatively rare as a giga coaster. So we were very excited, and, and I had been excited for uh, you know, literally weeks leading up to this trip. Couldn't wait to get on the plane uh, to get there to check it out. At the same time, we had heard uh, from people that had ridden it before, so we had a little bit of a feel for what we were getting into and what we were going to see. Um, the last giga that we had, had ridden uh, was uh, Intimidator 305 on the East Coast Frenzy Tour, which we uh, liked a lot, really enjoyed that ride, had a uh, great blackout almost moment on it and other things. Yeah, So that's a we, King's uh, Dominion. King's Dominion, right. Yep. And so I, I, I was looking forward to it, and it, it was very exciting. And overall, I mean, the bottom line is, Anytime you're going up the lift hill on on a giga coaster, you can't help but be kind of giddy about the whole thing. Uh, this one was not as scary a lift hill as I felt like Intimidator 305 or as cool a view and that sort of thing as like Millennium Force. But it was still just awesome to be riding up it. Matter of fact, I had just that momentary feeling right before we got to the top of it's a big drop. You know, we're going to have a big drop here, uh, no doubt about it. Uh, and, and, of course, we did, and the drop was great, and that was that. But overall, I, I have to say it is the least favorite of any Giga that I've ever ridden. And that is because after the drop and after the speed and the run, I really did not feel like there was a whole lot there after that. Um, I felt like there was a lot more action on Intimidator 305, although it's now been a while with Millennium Force. I just felt like there was more um, excitement on the rest of the coaster going through it. I mean, we are not coaster crazies as far as every little element, knowing everything about them. It's more an overall feel that I feel we do. But overall, I, I, was, I was disappointed. I would have liked it to be a little more exciting, a little more interesting. But, I mean, let's not be crazy. It's still a giga coaster. It's still a great, fun ride. It's just not what I would have liked um, if it was going to be perfect. Yeah, I mean, you and I are shared very similar sentiments here about the ride. It can't be that bad, right? I mean, it's 300 feet tall, and it's going to be fast from beginning to end, and that's exactly what it was. So, sure, it's going to be a blast, and it was. It was a lot of fun. Uh, but I agree with you. Of all the gigas that we have been able to be on, this was probably my least favorite. If they were all lined up and I got to pick which ones I would ride again, Orion would probably be at the last. Uh, and, you know, what's interesting is I think you and I would both agree that we still prefer Diamondback over Orion. Diamondback's hypercoaster, 200 foot. 200 feet and but it seems like some of the elements um once you got into the ride uh some of the, the airtime of diamondback is just just a better ride in my opinion which says a lot about diamondback that we think that it can still eclipse uh you know a giga here but you know that's not completely unlike what we experienced at cedar point we need at some point go back there of course we talk about this all the time but you especially really preferred magnum xl um always what's the end number 300 3000 whatever it is you pre you preferred it over millennium force remember and that's a similar thing here with king's island it, it is although of course diamondback is a little closer in intensity to orion than probably magnum is to millennium force but uh and i do agree diamondback is a better overall ride i think 
and, and yeah, I, I do think that's true. And, you know, you can extrapolate a little bit on the coasters if you want to. I mean, let's talk about the um, the 400-foot coasters, right? What do you have for those coasters? You're shot up to 400 feet and you come down, right? That's That's what you have. And I sometimes think that when you're building a Giga, um, that it's like the drop, the height, that's it. That's the element. That's what matters. And as great as the drop may be and as great as the speed you may get off that drop may be, we aren't just, although I love speed, I'm not just a speed demon or a drop. I, I like the experience, which was my reason on Magnum, because I loved the bunny hops. I loved the airtime. I, I loved the movement and rhythm of it. And I think the bigger you go, most of the time, the less of those other features you have, just by virtue of the fact that they have to put so much of the engineering into the 300 or 400 foot drop and they the other stuff goes away whereas the smaller coasters quote unquote um, have to have more action to them to make them uh, memorable and fun and all of that so I, I just I think it's a natural thing to some degree I mean that being said you know there's plenty of great big coasters too but that that is my feeling is is it's um, Intimidator 305 I thought was great Millennium Force was great but again was not my favorite coaster there and I think that's just um, the way it is as far as my feeling about coasters. Uh, it is very, very subjective. You can talk to me all day about helixes or rolls or all of this. At the end of the day, when I step off the coaster, I, I know how I felt and how much I enjoyed it, and that's what carries the day. You know, there reaches a point for me. I don't know if everybody else is like this, but for me there reaches a point that a drop brings about a certain amount of speed and a certain thrill and adrenaline. Um, but I, I don't know if I could necessarily tell you that as I'm going down um, the hill of, of Orion and I'm going down the hill of Diamondback that I was like, wow, man, uh, Orion just blew away Diamondback because of that extra 100 feet. I, you know, it's like you almost reach a point where there's a diminishing return almost of of how much thrill you're going to get out of that the element of i mean still going up the lift hill and like you were saying earlier what that experience is like trying to get to the top that in some ways adds a greater thrill than the coming down as compared to a 200 foot uh, lift hill you know getting up there is sometimes even scarier than the drop itself uh, because i i think Dim, uh, diamondbacks drop is just absolutely fantastic uh, so there's that element as well I think. well and i also think that uh, i think your point is is absolutely valid and i can tell you where i feel the difference and it's not about how how high the drop necessarily is in a way in a way it's about how steep the drop is and where i feel it and it generally is i think every gig i've ever been on i've felt this and I, and then I feel it on plenty of, um, of others as well. But the ones where you are at the top, you turn the top, and you feel like you are going back under the coaster. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm talking about mm -hmm. there is you feel like you're going greater than 90 degrees, even though you obviously clearly aren't down. That's where the excitement on the drop is to me. And so, and that comes at any 
at any level if they built it that way. And so once, I agree with you, if it's 300 feet and it has that great drop or it's 220 feet and it has that same kind of drop, I'm not sure how much I'm sweating that 80-foot difference. Each one is going to give me a pretty awesome thrill as I'm dropping down, feeling like I'm sort of going underneath uh, the, the top drop. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. So we made our way around the park after riding uh, Orion to go to some of the classics. But, you know, we rode Banshee. It was the first time that you had ridden Banshee. It's an inverted coaster. It's a fantastic coaster. It's one of the best inverted probably in the country. Uh, But, you know, it was funny, Rex, because you and I got off this thing and we realized... Uh, you know, we're not in Kansas anymore. And what we actually realized is we're not 25 years old anymore. It beat us up pretty bad. As a matter of fact, for the rest of our experience at Kings Island, we were kind of walking around in a daze and ended up leaving probably earlier than we thought we would because it just shook us around so much. Uh, so it's a good thing that RexandTheBeast.com is not forced in first and foremost a coaster-centered experience. Join the journey. It's not just about roller coasters, even though we get asked that all the time. People who don't know what we do, the first thing they ask once they find out, you know, we're a theme park is, oh, what's your favorite roller coaster? Tell me about the coasters. And we're happy to do that, but that's not really necessarily our first our first love. And it's probably a good thing because I think the days of you and I riding a coaster 20 times in a row those days are pretty much over. <laughs> yeah, well, I, uh, yeah, for sure. I, I mean, I came off of it. I mean, I was Clark W. Griswold coming off of it. I was like, holy crap, where's the Tylenol? Yeah. And, yeah. I mean, I, and, I've, and I literally got some because I was, I was knocked around. And of course, we'd already done a number of other coasters, uh, you know, in Orion as well. But it, it, there's no doubt that we feel it. We feel it. We noticed it when we did the East Coast Frenzy. And, uh, you know, we came off of... Um, Intimidator 305 and um, pretty much sat down and had a cold drink, you know. So Yeah, we did. But what's crazy is we rode that two times, maybe three. Three. And, uh, yeah, well, we loved it so much. And that was the other thing. You know, if we had had a greater experience on Orion, maybe we would have wanted to go back to it with, with more zeal than we, than we did because we ended up saying, well, you know, we could go back, but what's the point? So we, we just went back to, uh, you know, the, the old originals then or whatever the spinal tap quote is at that point yeah no yeah it, so it, it was it was funny you know we we need we, again to use another clark griswold line it's like where where, where are the small ones where's the little ones where's the dark rides that's what we want and that really is kind of our thing more more than anything else i guess is some of the dark experiences and that's why the orlando Universal Orlando Resort is our favorite park because you get a lot of that. You know, you get a lot of the inside rides and the screens and the dark rides and things. And that's kind of more our our speed. Having said that, we still got on the bat, uh, which is, of course, kind of a nod, a a tip of the hat to the original bat, which is apparently one of the greatest coasters of all time that I never got a chance to ride. I don't think you did either. You never rode the original bat, did you? Or did no, you? I, no, yeah. I was at Kings Island when it was operating. It was there, but that was before I rode coasters. That's Anyone right. that has listened to Rex and the Beast knows how I came late to riding coasters. So. That's right. That's right. So let's talk about the two wooden coasters that we rode, Mystic Timbers and the Beast, because in many ways you can't get more different uh, than these two coasters. The only thing that really are similar is that they're both wood. They're wooden coasters. But apart from that, 
totally different. So we got on Mystic Timbers. The only thing we knew about Mystic Timbers was the shed, <laughs> the infamous shed, which is kind of a, a letdown, I guess you could say. But we didn't know anything about the uh, experience of the attraction itself. We get on this thing, and it's like zero to 100 the entire time. It does not let up, ever. It's just full-on adrenaline, full-on speed. It's short, 45 seconds maybe, a minute, minute and 15 or something. But it is super fast, super short, but a lot of fun. And then and then you go into the shed and you listen to, you know, Cars music before a, like a demon jumps out at you or something. But anyway, but, but the attraction itself, you know, Mystic Timbers, that was kind of surprising, wasn't it? Like, well, it was. That was one of those that we enjoy that as as it was going, you and I kind of glanced at each other and we're both like laughing our tails off because <laughs> it's like, what is happening here? You know, it's like, did this thing just break its chain and we're like just running out of control or is this really the way it goes? And it's always <laughs> we're kind of barreling down the turnpike. Yeah, <laughs> we were and we were. It was uh, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun going into that without really knowing how it worked, how it how it was going to be. Uh, I enjoyed it a lot, and then I actually enjoyed the shed too, because we've joked about the shed, what's in the shed, so much, and <laughs> and I actually didn't think the shed was that bad. What really made it hilarious is how it opens, and you just go whoop right there. You are at the uh, you know the entry point, and I, for some reason that's tremendously funny. It is funny, and I just love the like. Do not go into the shed right, right as your train just goes right into the shed. Just... <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> Pretty, pretty good. It's pretty so fun. But yeah, I mean, it, it, you know, if you're going to sit there, the way I think the shed came about is you, you have to sit there anyway and wait for the train in front of you to, to load and take off. So they were probably thinking, ah, why not make it a little bit more of a fun experience while they have to sit there and wait anyway? And, you know, so sure, I've got no problem with it. But Mystic Timbers, super fast. Then you go to the Beast and, you know, the Beast is just one of those classics. We, it's, it's a beloved coaster. We have always loved it because of so many reasons, the history of it and so on and so forth in the back of the park, and you can't see it, and it's hidden in the woods, and it's still so long and so beautiful. But you and I were talking, you know, we got off the Beast having just ridden Mystic Timbers. So we rode Mystic Timbers first, then we went and got on the Beast, and they, they just couldn't be more different. The Beast takes its time, it seems like, at some points. There's long, straight stretches. Uh, there are um, break runs that happen, which brings you almost to a stop at some point, it feels like. Then you kind of pick up momentum again, turn around some curves. Then there's that long uh, second lift hill, which is so iconic. And then you come down into uh, the helix, which is, uh, is that's one of the best parts of any coaster, in my opinion, in the world. But yeah, we got off and, you know, you and I were saying, well, here's the deal. It, it all depends on how you're approaching a ride, how, what your presuppositions are about what you want to experience in a roller coaster. If it's just the thrill period, which a lot of coaster enthusiasts it is, and there's nothing wrong with that, then I can see how the beast is going to be a letdown. Uh, but if it's more of a comprehensive experience, including the history and, and, and the atmosphere and where it is and where it's located and what it feels like and so on, then I still think it's one of the best of all time. Uh, did, did you know that the history of the beast, that this thing was built by Kings Island? They didn't even bring in an outside company to build the coaster. Did you know that? No, I really didn't know that. Yeah, it was like the, it was just like the, 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 the maintenance guy was the one in charge of putting the thing together back in the 70s. I mean, it's a crazy story and how it's actually maintained to stay 
you know, up and, and running all of these years is nothing short of a minor miracle because it, it was not a, a professional outside company that came in and build coasters like, you know, happens every time these days. But, you know, having said that, I, I can't think of the beast without thinking of our friend Arthur Levine from About Theme Parks because he's always he always has a pretty strong opinion on the beast, which is this is really not that great. It, the hype is greater than the actual experience. And I can appreciate where he's coming from there. But for me, I don't know. It's still just one of my favorites. What about you after having ridden it again? Yeah, I I, I think it has plenty of thrills, even for someone who is looking for sort of a thrill out of their coaster. It's just you have to, again, accept it for what it is, which is amazingly long. And if you didn't have those moments of sort of the long straight stretches, the you know, where it perhaps slows down the brake runs and all that, I mean, it, it would it would have to have like a, you know, top to bottom 1500 foot drop from top to bottom to go keep everything moving i mean it's all yeah. it's so long it's still you know so long i mean i what you said about it being built by the sort of king's island itself sort of makes sense because there's never been a duplicate of it ever uh, anywhere right and that's not true for many coasters so uh, i yeah i on a number of things um, uh, you know, I think uh, I think Arthur comes from a standpoint of he is keeping a very strong eye towards uh, progress and the future and this and that, uh, which is great and fine. But I don't believe that the beast should be uh, forgotten or downgraded in any major way. I said, though, myself afterwards, I said, you can feel its age, right? You would know it was not built in the last 10 years, yeah. I, in my opinion, if you ride it, if you know anything about coasters and whatever. But that is part of its charm, too. As we said, can you imagine what it was like when you think of what the other rides in the country were in the early, mid-70s, and then you get on the beast? Right. I mean, that is mind-blowing, you know, that there was nothing like that nothing and it um it must have just been an amazing experience those first couple of years yeah absolutely and even to this day there's really nothing like it you know you mentioned it being so long and not being able to keep up the speed that was actually the reason they had to have the second lift hill as be, they, they wouldn't be able to complete you know the, the circuit basically if they weren't able to get back up and down again so then they decided well that's kind of cool nobody's ever done that before you know well and look you and i both more than than the average coaster enthusiast certainly uh, more than any more more than most any theme park enthusiast we are big on the emotional impact that's right and, and not i don't mean theming just theming but i mean the idea that this is the i mean it's still the longest wooden coaster right yes mm -hmm. and the idea that you have like the longest wooden coaster in the park and this and that and in reality you can't really see it yep. from much of anywhere uh until you ride it i mean unless you go up in the air uh, it's just a great thing to be back there in the woods and the trees and this and that. To me, it's just a better experience, a better feeling than what is a different feeling and still a cool feeling, but like Millennium Force that just sits there. 
and you go up in it and you ride it and there it is it's just there you see you know it's just there that's fine that's impressive in a different way but i like the feel of being back in those trees and having them whip by you as you're going so fast through the beast and and all of that i enjoy that i like that feel i like that theming it brings us a special almost a um a nostalgia to it because there's so little of those types of parks and those types of rides still available. Yeah. And we, you know, we have a personal connection to that as well. Growing up and being close to Kings Island and taking some family vacations there and it's still being pretty special. And yeah, I mean, it's, there's so much going for it from, from our point of view that makes it just an incredibly special ride. But you're right, man. I mean, not being able to see, even when you're on it, there's a certain disorientation that you don't really have, you don't really know where you are when you're on the ride. And you know, it's just just so cool. Yeah. So it was great to be back on The Beast. Great to be back at Kings Island. Just a wonderful, wonderful park. I, I can't say enough good things about well, it. Well, and we Eiffel certainly Tower. ought to uh, bring this up, Beast, that you and I, I, I think it was when we were having lunch, we were talking and we were talking about when we were there, or I was there for the first rider auction for Diamondback. And you were not able to come because you were ill <clears throat> that weekend. Uh, but we had, uh, you know, won the auction or, or were part of the auction to be on the first ride of Diamondback. And we did a, a um, giveaway through the RexandTheBeast.com site at the time to have someone ride with me. And that person was someone from KI Central, um, and her name was Kat. And I spent the day with Kat. She rode Diamondback with me. We rode other things. She showed me some other uh, sort of upgrades, different things that happened at Kings Island and all of that. And at lunch, we were talking about that and, you know, kind of remembering it. And we actually said, you know, wonder what happened to Kat. You know, wonder where she is, what she's doing and all of that. And I mentioned that I had seen her around the boards a few years ago uh, on KI Central. And we get up from lunch and we are walking towards Diamondback, I believe. We were going to ride Diamondback, I think. That's right. And all of a sudden we hear, hey, hey. And we look over and here's this, uh, you know, lady running towards us. And it's Cat. And she's working at King's <laughs> Island and she saw us in our shirts and the whole thing. And she's like, and she comes up and it's so funny. She starts with, I doubt you'll remember me, but I rode diamond back with you. Yeah. And it's like, well, aren't you surprised? Cause we were just talking about you 10 minutes ago. You know? <laughs> An amazing coincidence, which was really exciting. You know, it's amazing. What we talked about after that encounter is it seems like every trip we, we have something like that happen. Something that just is somewhat off the wall. So cool. Someone we run into or experience we have that we weren't anticipating. And that's what makes these trips so great. It's what joining the journey is all about. You know, we love going out there and we just don't know what's going to happen. We kind of plan the trip and then boom, something like that takes place. So cool to see her. She seems to be doing great. Still loves Kings Island working there. It really seemed like she still had a love for the park. You know, that can sometimes go away when you're actually employed somewhere uh, that you once loved, but it seems like she still loved it. And uh, I'm just so thrilled for her and, and I wish nothing but the best for her. So yeah, it's great. Yeah, it was great. great. And, and yeah, and that, that, uh, you know, I, I sort of think back, I feel like that's, you know, it's been happening all along, but when I think about the beginnings of that, 
I think about the beginnings of, of Twitter. You know, you got to remember we were around before Twitter yeah. uh, and all of that. And I remember the beginnings of Twitter when uh, we took the uh, the Cedar Point uh, trip and we used Twitter and set up a uh, you know a lunch meeting oh, yeah. at the little fish and chips place in Cedar Point to uh, to meet uh, you know the Rex and the Beast fans and stuff. And man, that was the beginning of uh, beginning of all the waves from all of that stuff. It was That's awesome. Right. No, it was, yeah, just absolutely incredible. And uh, you know our shirts have really paid dividends for us because we we get you know it's just so fun to get a lot of that. Uh, you remember the last time we were at uh, not oh, the last time, but it was. Uh, a couple of years ago, we were at Universal Studios, and we were in line at um, um, what's the the train called? Uh, Hogwarts Express. Yeah, yeah, Hogwarts Express. So we're in line, getting ready to go from IOA over to Universal, and you know it's packed, and we hear someone start yelling like halfway across the room. And it ends up being someone who saw us once at Elitch Gardens during a Halloween event. And he saw the shirts and was, I mean, those are the things that are just so cool. And, and it, you know, it's something special about the community, too, that even though Twitter's so huge, theme park fandom is so huge, of course, but there's still something about this community where we, we kind of know each other and, and there's certain connecting points there that tend to show up on these trips. And it's just a blast when that happens. Yeah, and, and we enjoy it. We have fun. We love interacting with the, the fans and stuff. And, you know, we talk about this. This is no secret that, you know, uh, Rex and the Beast is, is not doing the same level of trips and all of the stuff that we did uh, 10, 12 years ago and that sort of thing with life changing. But we still love it. We still enjoy the trips. And, and it's actually even more fun now when we have people uh, come up to us that remember us from either the past or, you know, have, have become new fans of sort of joining the journey so we get a kick out of it and it's it's just a blast all the way around you know it's amazing 2008 was probably our most productive year our most active year i mean 08 to 10 11 we're, we're all active but 08 was really active and that was 12 years ago hard to believe man i know Woo. it i know it oh my goodness well man let's talk about something real quick that is just difficult to even bring up we haven't had an opportunity to speak about this yet on the podcast and that is Halloween Horror Nights. Um, again, if you've been listening to us for any length of time at all, we talk about this all the time because it's just so special to us that we started attending Halloween Horror Nights in 2003. So we were there for HHN 13. It's the director. Um, we, we were just, we showed up at the exact right time because that's when the event really started to make a turn and seeing the high quality of the mazes and the incredible scare zones and all the things that they were offering. Rex and I were there in 03, and, you know, we just, boom, have been there ever since. So HHN, man, I mean, how do we even, how do we even put this into words? You know, it obviously is no longer about just haunted houses. It's obviously no longer about just seeing if we can go get scared. I mean, this, this is like a part of our life now. Like, this, this is an annual experience that you and I are able to be together we love being together, having fun, and we get to see each other. We get to do all of the things that lead up to the event, all of the things after the event, and the motels and donuts and all the crazy stuff we do. And it's just like, it's just not going to be there this year. And there's a, yeah, man, there's a there's a heaviness about that that is, is really, really kind of difficult to process and sad in a way. Um, so how are you dealing with that? Like it's been now weeks, of course, since we found out there won't be an HHN event, 
But yeah, I don't know. I'm almost trying to just avoid it. But probably when September and October rolls around, we're going to be like, dang, man, this is not good. Well, it is interesting as to how I've felt it or haven't felt it so far because we have been in such this unusual circumstance with the COVID situation and the lack of travel and the kind of hunkered down where you are sort of circumstances that it just feels like one more to me right now. It just feels like one more crazy spin on the year 2020. You know, we got all these all these awful things that have changed how things work and it just you know it just feels terrible from that standpoint but by the same token i know we still have the trip scheduled the trip is still scheduled for us in october whether we go or not i don't know but it's still scheduled and if we go then i know we are going to feel it and we're going to feel it in a major way when we're walking around orlando walking around universal walking around even disney however we do it and we know there's no hhn i mean it's going to be an amazing hole in that trip i mean i was thinking about it we're talking about 18 years 18 years in a row of going to this event and then i mean if you think about it that's over a third of our life that's over a third of our life we have gone to this event, and um, that it's just amazing. That's crazy. I've never thought of it like that before. Yeah, yeah. And then you know, under these circumstances, like there's already so many uh, difficult realities going on because of COVID and whatnot. And in many ways, you know, HHN is an opportunity for us to take a step away, relax, enjoy some things that are that are comforting to us, as strange as that may sound, haunted houses and whatnot. And that's, you know, yeah, for that not to be there in the midst of already a complicated situation is going to be challenging. I hope we're able still to go. You know, we still need to ride Rise of the Resistance and uh, some of the things at Disney. Epcot construction is back on, so they're still trying to make that 50th anniversary construction updates, and I'd love to see some of that. I'm excited about the work that's happening there. But not having HHN... Uh, is is going to be a, a a beast. So, uh, pardon the pun there. So yeah, man, you you called me today. Uh, so the Halloween Halloween Horror Nights tribute store is open, and uh, you called me with a really interesting question. I'd lo- I, you know I just thought we could chat about this for a minute. Maybe not go into super detail or anything, but you called and you said, hey, you know what you're feeling about somebody uh, who might go to a tribute store, purchase two let's just say Halloween Horror Nights soundtracks, you know, not doesn't buy a hundred of them or anything, just gets a couple of them, keeps one for himself, puts another one on eBay, and ups the price significantly from what he paid for it. What do you think about that? And my response was, I mean, you know, just no big deal. I mean, you know, if somebody's willing to pay for it, then they're willing to pay for it. And the guy's going to make a profit, and that's that. I, it doesn't really bug me. And you're like, yeah, you know, but I don't know. It's it's somewhat controversial because it seems like people are really pushing back against this. So, yeah, I'd love for you to, to talk about that, like what you've been thinking in terms of what you've seen on Twitter with that controversy that's taking place there. Well, I think you have a lot of people that are very frustrated with it, and that's what triggered it. Wanting me, uh, for wanting to talk to you about it, is that there are a lot of people that are really mad at these people that have done this. And as you and I talked about, 
I think you and I are, are at some level in agreement here that we would feel like it's a real problem if somebody went in and there were like a hundred of these and bought all hundred and then turned around and jacked the price through the roof because that's no longer sort of uh, uh, kind of fair in the sense of it's taking capitalism and flipping it into sort of a monopoly, if you will. But that's not what's happening here as I have seen. Now, you know, uh, let's, uh, we'll just put the parameters around what we're talking about. What we're talking about is what you said, is somebody buys a few of these. There's still others available for other people, but they decide to, to put it up there and say, hey, here's the huge price jump. And I have thought about it more since we've talked, and I think part of the frustration with this to some people uh, comes from the standpoint uh, that we've talked about before, whether it's express passes um, or anything else, is the idea that perhaps something that should be available generally to everyone is now available only to a sort of more elite class. Um, is not everybody, even if they wanted to, is in a position to pay $300 to get the record. And so if the record is now available for $300, even if that is quote unquote sort of per, you know okay capitalism, it just seems unfair and sort of rolling towards more the elitist idea of, you know, oh, well, great, you know, just only people that can just afford to throw that kind of money out there are going to have a chance to, to obtain it now. Um, and I think that's where some of this is coming from. Um, it doesn't bother me tremendously either as long as sort of the opportunity was there for every others to get it if they want it. Um, but I, I do think there is uh, what I, I sort of refer to as a little bit of a um, – more of a socialistic mindset about it here, and I'm saying that without any uh, any uh, negative or positive intention on that word, just that a reality, kind of an economic statement about it. But I, I sort of think that's where people are coming from, and I, I think that's where the frustration comes from. I don't feel it. I don't think it's really appropriate in this circumstance, um, but I'm not surprised by it. Yeah. Well, it sounds like uh, you've got a dog who's not real happy about He's it. He's not real happy. Yeah, I don't know what's going on. I'm going to have to go over here and lock him in the closet if he had to be quiet here pretty soon. So uh, we'll see what we can do. Yeah, yeah, but I'm with you. I mean, I'm like, hey, um, uh, it just doesn't. It just doesn't have the same impact on me as it apparently it does with some others. And everybody's going to have their opinions on this kind of thing. But I'm with you. If they bought every single one of them and nobody had. It was like a free market, so to speak. Nobody had an opportunity to get one, and maybe that would be a little bit different. But, uh, yeah, I think it's okay. No big deal. Let's go to the other side, Kissimmee. Let's talk about Disney and The Void. You and I did The Void uh, virtual reality experience when we were in Las Vegas. We loved it. We had a blast. We didn't necessarily do all that great, but it was so much fun. And apparently there's some weird stuff happening with Disney Springs and The Void and uh, – I don't know, copyright issues and they shut them down or something. Have you found out anything more about this since we talked today and what's going on with the void at Disney? No, I really haven't. I think it, it was related. I mean, this, and this wasn't new. This happened back in the early part of the summer that Disney apparently terminated the lease because of a violation of the license agreement they had to be able to use 
like the Star Wars and Wreck-It Ralph properties, but I couldn't find out any specifics as to what they did to violate that license. Um, you know, maybe some of our Orlando folks, whether it's uh, Seth Kabersky or, or, or others, know more about this. And if they hear, hear the podcast, they'll be able to let us know. But it just seems very unusual to me because it doesn't seem that there's any uh, attempt to shut the other voids down in Vegas or even the other ones in or another one in Orlando. And it makes me wonder, was this some kind of play by Disney to get back the space? Did they want the space back for some reason? I, I don't know. The whole thing just seemed very interesting and I could just not track down. I haven't tried hard either. Um, I've looked at a few things and done a couple of searches and couldn't find anything, but I just found it interesting. There was a tweet, unfortunately, I don't remember who did it, that uh, that that triggered this um, for me of reading it. Someone saying they were sorry and really sorry to see it be closed. And I had not heard it before, so I tracked it down from there. But, uh, you know, unusual, really unusual. And I hope we can find out, and I'm sure we will ultimately, what happened. But at first blush, I, I sort of hate it because I was looking forward to going to the when we get back there to going to that void and um, seeing kind of how it was compared to the Vegas one that we did. Um, it, it's it, it seemed like a lot of fun. I, sh I certainly hope the void makes it through this whole COVID time and everything because I feel like it is the next step to continuing to move on to some super amazing experiences down the road. Yeah, yeah, me too. Um, but, you know, maybe I, I just feel like there's still this possibility that they're going to bring back Disney Quest. Well, um, not, we got no problem yeah, with that. Because, no, be as you know, if you and I need to go in there and take care of business on the, uh, what, what are they? What were those things called? <laughs> <laughs> Man, the comics or ride no, the comics. No, not ride the comics. Ride the comics was the awful attraction. That used <laughs> I know. VR. I thought I'm that's what you were talking about. No, I'm talking about the, the driving Oh, Astro with Blaster. The balls. Yeah, the Astro, Astro Blaster. Blaster. Yeah, I mean, nobody ever had a better run on Astro Blaster than that first that's time we fact. did. I mean, we, we, we got hit maybe one time and spun, and we were just spinning everybody else, shooting them. I mean, it was a total destruction on the Astro Blaster. I mean, they came over and said, uh, if you guys could just really not play anymore not, today, not we'd appreciate that. Yeah, I mean, we really did. That was the first time we ever did it, too. We just, we just destroyed everyone but do you remember that photo of me on the ride the comics thing where i look like i've just had an aneurysm and i've got that thing on top of my head and that, yes that's back when virtual reality maybe pretty much made you want to vomit you yeah know? yeah you were having a really good time on that <laughs> ride the comics such a great name too in a way i mean perfect situation now with the avengers and marvel and dc but at, at that time ride the comics was basically try not to puke <laughs> that's right that was not good. And I mean, do you remember also one time we did the uh, we did like the Jungle Cruise, and you had to paddle the boat. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we are paddling like I mean, we are paddling like maniacs, and nothing is happening. Nothing's I mean, happening. We, we 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 had to just go lay in a corner after we finished the ride, but we we managed to do nothing. Which is tell. really it's really the motto of the entire Disney Quest experience, which is all of this physical interactive stuff, but nothing ever really responds to you. <laughs> Right. Well, and another, yeah, the pinball was a great one, too. That. I mean, you jump around, smack things, do all this, nothing. I mean, nothing works. And so it, 
Yeah, we loved it. <laughs> it was the best. Yeah. Their internet cafe, like the internet didn't actually work, but you would sit there with that built-in mouse on the desk trying to do stuff, and it would never happen. I mean, the place was awesome. I, I, am, so, I am so glad we had the opportunity to uh, experience that a few times before, uh, before it bit the dust, because it was, it was great. It was great. Well, it's good to be back with Coasters and Culture here with Rex and the Beast. Thanks for hanging out with us today. Uh, We'll let you know more about the upcoming potential trips in the fall. Hopefully we're going to get down to uh, Orlando, but we'll wait and see. Until then, we hope you're staying safe. Uh, Keep it safe out there with COVID. Hope everybody's doing well. And uh, yeah, be looking for more content here on rexandthebeast.com. Join the journey. Rex, man. It's good to talk to you again, being back on here. Any last words that you want to leave our our captive audience? No, I don't think so. Uh, I am excited to see what happens here through the fall and the the spring. I don't know if I told you, but we have canceled our spring break Disney uh, cruise. and We've decided to go ahead and take the cruise off the table. And so um, we just decided that's probably not going to be the greatest move in the world even by then. But hopefully other fun things are coming and we'll keep everybody informed as to what we're doing. And hopefully that October trip happens because I'm, I'm looking forward to it and Florida can get their, uh, get their crap together down there. Maybe we'll be able to make it there. All right. There you have it. Well, this is the Beast saying be strong and courageous. RexandTheBeast.com. Join the journey. Join the journey.